Warning, the following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Primers, that was so ridiculous. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> oh, I'm sticking with it. I'm not. Oh, taking, go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> taking go it ahead. out. Uh, we're we're in a good mood because it, you know it. We had something awesome happen earlier this week uh, that we'll talk a little bit about later on. But welcome to issue 49 of DC Primetime uh, from the Showcast Spotlight here on the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from the Captain Crew cast of pods, I am Rob Martin, and we did find out in the last couple days, we're talking Star Wars again this week, uh, <laughs> that The Last Jedi is plural, so so we can speculate for the next hour and a half about that today. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm really excited. Rebels comes back tonight, so I'll, I'll talk about Star Wars yet again yeah. this week. No, there was only three shows this week, so we don't have to talk <laughs> about any of them. I mean, and we did, like I said, we did have something really cool happen earlier this week for the podcast, and uh, we don't have to talk about it. It's It's fine. No, uh, three shows this week since Flash and Legends of Tomorrow were on break for Valentine's Day. At least I think that's why they were probably on break. I I can't think of any other reason why they would have been. Yeah, so. I, I don't know. Like I normally shows don't take Valentine's Day off, but sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, we have Arrow to talk about Supergirl and Powerless. Plus, we're going to give you a little bit of synopsis on our thoughts on Justice League Dark. We're not going to go over too much spoilery with the, when it comes to that film, because as Rob had brought to my attention before we recorded, uh, it definitely does have a feel like there's more coming. So uh, this is something we want you guys to watch on your own. It was my recommendation last week for you guys to watch over the course of this week so you could be part of the conversation or at least uh, listen to our conversation. But we'll, we'll we save will, the spoilers. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we will review, though. I think we will definitely review. Well, I, we, we can give spoilers because we are a spoiler show, but we still recommend highly uh, when you get to that part of this episode. Um, pause if you haven't watched it yet because there is some bigger things that happen in it that I didn't expect. Yeah. So. So, uh, as per usual, um, or unlikely usually, Rob and I usually save our uh, our ratings of the episodes for the podcast itself. But we revealed this week, and I think it's interesting that we did before we recorded because you and I are very different on one episode this week. Yes, very, uh, very it, much so. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting when we get to that. But uh, as we mentioned, something really cool did happen earlier this week, so maybe we can spend like a minute or two on that. In that we've been plugging it for the past, I think like week or two, we were talking about it since it was a possibility, and it came to fruition rather quickly, actually. And that being that we had a phenomenal conversation with Teddy Sears, formerly of The Flash, now on uh, 24 Legacy. Um, he, oh my god, you know what? I, this was your first big interview. What were your thoughts it was. on this? 
just in how insanely sweet the guy was. Uh, it was funny because uh, Teddy was running late, and I was kind of, uh, you know, my I was kind of getting a little bummed out, and I was like, oh man, I was kind of really hoping that this was going to happen. This is my first time talking to uh, a bigger celeb. I mean, I've done plenty of interviews with people in the past, but this was uh, this was really awesome. So like when his rep got into co- uh, contact with us, like oh, he in traffic, and then the moment that he. Uh, he jumped on and he was, he was as gracious as could be and was actually, you could tell what in the conversation, if you've listened to it, he was really enjoying himself uh, talking a lot about this stuff. You could definitely tell he's very passionate about the projects he's done, even him getting a chance to talk a little bit about old school comics, him becoming a collector nowadays, and then just him sharing some really insightful parts of his life, which was really Kind of awesome, yeah. but just an amazing guy. It was such a great experience, and I can't wait to talk to him again. And we got some exclusive stuff out of this, too. Like, I mean, when when you listen to the interview, if you haven't yet, we definitely encourage you to do so. Uh, you know, we started talking about music, and, you know, like, he told us a story about, like, how a Dave Matthews Band song changed his life. And, you know, I think I don't think it's on the recording. I think it happened after the recording. But, you know, he told us, like, he's never told that story before. And he was very grateful for the fact that through that conversation, he was reminded of that story because it's a very good story. It's not a bad story. Uh, so and that was really cool. I, like, I love when we're able to get things like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it was kind of funny. I mean, we, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, if he's under any form of NDAs or anything like that. But even when we talked earlier beforehand, uh, he mentioned even something that's coming up on The Flash later this season that he knew about from being friends with some of the cast and so it was kind of cool to get a little insight into just just his relationship with some of those people that are still you know actively on the show. So, like I said, we're, we can bring that up when that happens later this season. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's some fun stuff there. So. I I didn't even think about that. You're right. We didn't know about that before he told us. No, it hasn't been posted anywhere. That's right. So. It hasn't been made news yet. So we yeah. have an exclusive to something thanks to Teddy. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So and it's something I'm definitely excited to see how it turns out too. Well, m- maybe we can we can ta- uh, email his rep and like, hey, he mentioned the, this to us before we recorded. We don't know if that's safe to discuss or anything like that. You know, well, he mentioned it during the interview, so it's it's out there now. Uh, no, he didn't. It was before we recorded. I actually listened. And I'm like, oh, maybe he brought the. Oh no, he didn't bring this oh, up on the show. Okay, so okay, so you and I know what it is. We know what it is. Our you listeners don't know. know what it is. Yes, sorry. <laughs> now we're being vague and kind of douchey about it, but <laughs> all right. Yeah, um, it's better. Maybe safe. we can email. We can, maybe we can email his rep and find out if, if that's safe to bring up to you guys, so we can talk about it maybe next week. Yeah. If not, when it happens on the show, we can be like, yep, this is something we knew about for a little while now. So. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It's better safe to, to. I'll reach out to his rep this evening and find out if we can use it next week yeah but yeah the interview with teddy was amazing we were supposed to get i think about like 25 minutes with him and it's a little over 45 so yeah uh because he was very very gracious and as robin mentioned he was just having a blast talking to us and like even when we were getting ready to wrap up he's like no he's like come on let's keep going he's like this is fun let's keep going so yeah we talked to him probably close to about an hour and a half i think that evening yeah, because the, inter- so. the interview was 45 minutes, and yeah, we talked to him a little bit beforehand, and we talked to him probably for like another good 15, 20 minutes afterwards, too. So, yeah. And I have it all. I have it all recorded. Oh, so, that's fantastic. So maybe if we get permission to reveal what he revealed, uh, maybe we'll drop that as a little bit of an exclusive, like after, uh, like a little behind-the-scenes interview that was technically not an interview. It was just us recording, just shooting the shit, and... Uh, because I think that's probably the only thing in that conversation we wouldn't be able to talk. No, there was something he did reveal about his family that I don't want to. Yeah, personal stuff. So. Yeah, we could take that out. 
if we're allowed to use it, but we'll figure it out. Uh, but special thanks to Teddy Sears and to his, uh, his rep, Sandy, for getting us all reached out for that. That was an amazing experience. And when you guys get the chance to listen to it, please post on the Facebook page. Let us know what you thought because we're excited and we hope you guys are just as excited to hear it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but let's get things rolling. And as we said, three episodes to get through. So hopefully not too much. Uh, but let's hit the DC bullet points for, let's hit the bullet points for this week and give our rating of Sidekick Hero or Legend to this week's episodes. Starting first with Supergirl season two, episode 12, uh, Sidekick Hero or Legend. I am definitely going Legends on Supergirl this week. It's kind of been a little slower the past couple weeks. Uh, a lot of good heroes, high heroes in the mix, but, uh, and I think we've actually had a legend or two in there. Um, like I said, I know we really loved that Thing-esque episode uh, a couple weeks back. But I got to say, this was fantastic. We, we are starting to really see some movement, what it feels like the plot in this, this season. And uh, I'm really excited to see where it goes. And we got a couple really great Easter eggs in the mix, too. So, Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I'm going legend on this one as well. I thought there was a lot of uh, strong points, a lot of – and a lot of – you know, th- there was some fu- really fun stuff that happened in this episode, too. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where the season is going to progress from this point. Uh, I'm hoping it's legends across the board because, uh, next week is going to be interesting. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to handle next week's episode. Yeah. So, especially with how this week ended. Uh, uh indeed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we have our big difference of opinion. Arrow season five, episode 13, sidekick, hero, or legend. Why don't you start that one off? Uh, okay. I am actually going legend on this one. Uh, it's, I have my reasons why, and, um, we'll get to that in the discussion, but I'm, I'm going legend. All right. And I was on the verge, I was just about to give this a sidekick, but I'm going to hold that because, uh, next week, just because of the villain lineup. It's already starting off on a low point for me. That's got to really build itself up. Uh, it's not usually how I review, so I have to kind of clear my head before this week's episode because uh, it's no shock that I am not a fan of Lady Cop, China White, or uh, Cupid. So uh, so next week could be a rough one. But uh, <laughs> this, this week, there was some really good stuff. And then in addition to that really good stuff, there was an after-school special that felt heavy-handed and obnoxious, and it drove me up the fucking wall. So... I'm going to go very low hero. Okay. All right. Uh, and finally, we have Powerless, uh, Season 1, Episode 3, titled Sinking Day, uh, Sidekick Hero or Legend? I'm going to go high hero. It's getting close to that legend point, but they feel like they started figuring out what the fuck they want to do with the show. Uh, very happy with it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going heroes. I'm going very, very strong hero as well, like on the border of legend. Uh, this is one of those, this episode is one of those reasons. It's a prime example as to why I give any new show three episodes to sell me. The pilot is always supposed to catch you. The second episode kind of bombs a little bit. And then if they're not back by the third episode, I don't give it a chance. They grabbed me with this third episode. I'm in for the rest of this season now because of how this episode was. It was so much better than the last than last week. I'd even give this better this was better than the pilot. Yeah, I agree. So, um I was back to laughing. I was back to just it's a sitcom. So if I chuckle, you've got me. It's it's that and it didn't feel forced at all. So, uh I'm very high hero on powerless this week. 
Uh, actually, you know, let's let's get a rating in there for Justice League Dark too. While we're at it, we might as well because we both watched it and we both enjoyed it. So, uh, okay, um, yeah, Justice League Dark. Uh, I'm going Legend on Justice League Dark. I highly enjoyed it. I have watched it twice, and I watched it last night for the first time, and then immediately watched it again. So I am, I'm definitely giving it a legend as well. Okay. Awesome. Um, really, a lot of fun stuff, and Matt Ryan returning was – it was like, yay, this is a, like a lost episode yeah. where they had a big budget. And it, it and honestly, too, just animation-wise, it was gorgeous. It was. It, it looked so good. It really, really was. And it's one of the reasons why I brought up – uh, during the interview with Teddy, if they were to ever do an animated like Justice Society movie, if he would voice um, uh, Jay Garrick, because Matt Ryan returning, it was a very strong selling point for that movie. And I don't I even if Matt Ryan was not the voice of Constantine, I still think I would have enjoyed it because the story was great. The animation was great. So I but Matt Ryan voicing Constantine was still a very big positive. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. So, uh, all right, let's go into the secret origins now of this uh, episode of this issue and talk a little bit more and break down the episode, starting first with Supergirl season two, episode 12, titled Luther's Lena is arrested when Metallo breaks Lillian out of prison and evidence suggests that Lena is responsible. So a lot of, as we had mentioned, just it's, it's some really great moments that came out of this episode. Um uh, Rob, why don't you start us off with some of your favorites of this? Uh, right off the bat, I got to say I'm really happy that we're seeing more Katie McGrath. Uh, she was a big, huge focal point this week. She is such a phenomenal actress. I loved her in Merlin. I watched almost all of that series uh, from BBC a couple of years back. Uh, and she was such a highlight of that show. I, I mean, I, it was really great to see her get picked up into Supergirl. Um, and it's somebody that haven't been like hammering down our throats, but they have been using her very intelligently since she's appeared. Uh, and especially the relationship she ha- has right now with Kara. So I think that's actually been a really great, you know, focal point. I love they're also bringing back Supergirl's villains that we've seen. Even if it's just ones we've seen for the first time this season, we know we got to see Livewire already. Um, I think they already said Parasite is coming back this season already. So he's getting multiple appearances. And the fact that they brought uh, John Corbin Metallo back. And uh, he is somebody that's, I think, fairly new as far as acting. Like, I don't, from his IMDb page, I don't have the actor's name in front of me. But uh, he has such a great commanding presence at that as that role. And uh, you know he's not out for the count uh, by the end of this episode. It it's may a- seem like it. But I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Frederick Schmidt is uh, Frederick Schmidt. is the actor's name. And he's relatively new. 2013 was his first ever acting role. Yeah. So, but uh, he he just does such a great job with that character, and like I said, it was so much fun to watch him. Like he has such a great time playing that sinister, over the top villain, and it works. And it does such a great job on the show. Um, but yeah, I loved everything about this episode. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on on the return of the of uh, Metallo and stuff, and I even liked that they still, um, you know, they brought up the the synthesized kryptonite in. You know, it, it brought to attention kryptonite again because, I mean, we know that Superman had gotten all the kryptonite and locked it up. And, and I believe, if, if I remember correctly, it's in the fortress. Uh, I don't yep. remember exactly where it's hidden. Is that, am I right about that? I think that's where they mentioned it. It got pulled off to in the end of episode two of the season. I, I got to go back and double check. I mean, knowing Superman, I wouldn't be shocked if he took it up into space. But uh, more than likely, it's locked away safely in the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was fun too seeing um, you know John Corbin as Metallo and Cyborg Superman both together. Uh, you know, kind of facing off because that's uh, I'm still waiting for Eradicator. But anyway, 
Um, cause that would have been an awesome trio of villains if it ever does happen. But besides, you know, the main point with the Luthers and everything, it, I enjoyed going back to the Alex and Maggie story. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad that the show is back to kind of like not force feeding that to us. Uh, you know, there was that moment in the beginning of the show where, you know, Maggie or Alex is coming out to everyone, not just to, uh, to Kara. And it was a very lighthearted moment. Like everybody was accepting of it. They didn't need to, you know, uh, I mean, I even like the moment with John where like, you know, he's like, I knew I'm psychic. Of course I knew. And, um, you know, and he admits that he's happy for. So I like that they kind of got that moment. They had it and they got it out of the way. So, yeah, I, I think Monel's reaction was the best. He's like, wait, so that's a problem here on Earth? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, it seems like there's been some statements being made in, in shows this week, uh, at least in Supergirl and, and Arrow. Not so much in Powerless because Powerless, it's just a sitcom. Uh, you know, but Supergirl has been visiting the, the, um, the gay community quite a bit with the Alex and Maggie storyline. And then obviously Arrow, we'll get to that in a little bit later. But uh, yeah, I was I I enjoyed this episode quite a bit, and I'm I'm looking f- I'm <laughs> looking forward to next week for sure. So, mm-hmm. and we did see some pro- progression in the Kara and Monel. Yeah, we really did. Well. Not even that though. There's one. There are actually two big things we haven't talked about yet. Uh, well, actually, there's a third, but that's more. The third is just a fun little like uh, you know note for the episode. But we got to see Lionel Luther and Lex Luther for the very first time uh, in this episode. I'm glad and you fun. brought that up. But go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just a flashback still, but this is the first time we, we've actually seen any characters, you know, you know, being portrayed like on screen for this the show so far. Like Lionel had that very traditional look of Lex that we all kind of know. Uh, and then we're seeing a very young uh, version of Lex, still maybe 13, 14 years old, max, give or take in the scenes that we see, maybe even a little bit younger um, playing chess. And that was really quickly it. But uh it was great to see them really kind of starting to get into this. We actually even saw the power armor, uh, like Lex's power suit, eventually at one point in time, uh, just locked up in a vault. And uh, all that stuff was just it was just icing on the cake of a really great episode. Can I tell you, when we saw that Lex power armor, I rewound that three seconds, that, that three second clip at least five times just to see it again. Oh, I did, too. I paused it. Like, it was like studying it. I'm like, man. There's something amazing knowing that this is the first time this armor has ever appeared in a live action format. Um, So this is really cool. Aside from people doing, you know, astounding cosplay of this in the past, um, that an official sanctioned, you know, DC, you know, show is actually showing it and it looked great. Um, I do hope we get to see that in action still sometime this season. Oh, my God, it would be awesome. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. like, like, let's put let's put it on Lena. How awesome would that be? You never know. Yeah, it's true. Um, I did want to bring this up, though. I'm glad you brought this up, and I'm, uh, we wouldn't have been good if we didn't. But I, I'm confused by something. I'm very curious as to what lore they're pulling from when it comes to the Luthers. Uh, you know, because we did see Lionel. We did see Lex. But also we did – and you, you, as you mentioned, we saw Lionel win the classic Lex bald head and everything. Um. But early on in the episode, we heard the story where Jimmy was talking to Kara about how people forget that Lex and Clark or Lex and Superman were friends growing up. As far as I know, the only lore that happened in is Smallville. Yeah. 
So obviously that's a very big nod to Smallville, which I think makes sense because you've got Terry Hatcher returning to coming to the show. You've got Dean Cain on the show. So well, but they're Lois and Clark. They're not Smallville. Um, so never mind. I take that back because I don't think anybody from Smallville, other than Laura Vandervoort, has been on the show. That's so. uh, yeah, that's true. But I mean, I, I will say you know there there's so many versions of canon you can look at. I mean. Um, I, I think that version has existed where they have done stuff in the past with comics with Lex and Clark actually being friends. There's been ties to that. I mean, you've got to look at, I mean, Christ, like Lena Luthor alone uh, before the original Crisis of Infinite Earths uh, was indeed Lex's younger sister. You know, after Crisis of Infinite Earths, when they changed things up, Lena was Lex's daughter. So there's so many different alterations and versions of these stories. So we could be, they're plucking a little bit from everything. Like we're seeing stuff from uh, taking a little bit from Smallville, taking a little bit from silver age continuity, you know, and then more modern age as far as post crisis on infinite earths in the eighties, a little bit of new 52 sprinkled in there. So they're doing a lot. And I think they're just building their own unique version of this world. And I think everything they're doing is making a very unique Supergirl continuity that's working very well. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm not accepting of it. I, because I, I was a big fan of Smallville. So the fact that, you know, uh, James went to that well, or the writers went to that well to have James tell that story about how Clark and Lex were friends growing up. I was like, oh. All right, awesome. This is a bit of the Smallville universe. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I guess building their own universe and like just taking pieces from all these different ones to make it their own. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Oh no, I think actually what they're doing is they're really crafting their own unique world, and that world feels very believable because I think all of us know enough of the Superman mythology, enough about Supergirl, that whatever they're throwing at us, they're pulling it at least from somewhere in these characters' histories, wh- wh- whatever format that may be, but it's working very well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I guess there's there's two key things, I think, that happen at the end of this episode uh, that should, of course, be mentioned, and that is first starting with um, we're still, at least me personally, still not sure about Lena now. Like, I thought I was. And now I'm kind of on the fence again because of just that final scene with her and the chessboard. Uh, You know, that's actually I'm going to bring that up real quick. Uh, And that ties back to when she's playing with Lex. Oh, I know. She says one specific thing that I'm like, wait a second. Is this what they're setting her up for? Well, there's two Uber groups out there as far as government agencies. There Mm -hmm. is Cadmus and there is Checkmate. And that is one key thing we see a very young Lena Luther say to her brother when she moves that piece, uh, because that chessboard is also synonymous with checkmate. Like you always see that on covers when they did those book series. Uh, and I'm wondering if she works for checkmate. Uh, that's you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I honestly did not think about that. I do. I remember checkmate from Smallville. And I didn't think about that even possibly being a a possibility. And now that it is, if I remember correctly, um, at least in, in Smallville, because I'm not too familiar with it outside of Smallville, I remember it being like an agency that turned out to be run by Clark's mother. So I don't know what Checkmate is. Well, Checkmate, uh, to kind of give a tiny little micro version of it, it was uh, part of Amanda Waller's group. It was part of Task Force X. Uh, it was just a division. 
Um, they basically were kind of a, a recharter from U, the UN, like it was part of the UN Security Council. So it was an agency involved with that. So it makes you wonder if she's tied into that because of things that happened with Lex. Um, basically, she's working with a group that's kind of keeping things, you know, no pun intended, kind of in check with everything as far as what's happening with the aliens, making sure there's kind of a safety measure in the play outside of the DEO or outside DEO jurisdiction. So I wouldn't be surprised. It kind of ties back to her little device that checks if people are humans or, you know, alien. Yeah. So it, it would make sense and start tying some things together a little bit. Okay. I, and if, if that's the case and they are bringing Checkmate into it, that's something I – I totally would like to see because I'd, I'd like to see I'd like to be right about Lena and that she's not a an evil Luther. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that is the case with with that. Maybe she's going to take on kind of a pseudo Amanda Waller esque kind of role here. I could see that potentially being the case. We still don't know how Terry Hatcher fits in. Uh, we saw her get suited up in a behind the scenes shot of looks like some kind of armor. So we don't know what she is or if it's tactical armor or anything. So who knows? Yeah. That could be very much tied into that. So um, I do have a question about something. I'm trying to remember if it's shown or not. But there's a scene, obviously, uh, we do know that Cadmus still has many branches out there. They're, you know, vaults that Lex had kept things uh, all across the world. Uh, and we get to see one of them in this episode. And it's where we see the power armor as well as the axe and, and a, another... Um, Black Mercy. So we know that that's still out there as well. But I'm, there was something that uh, Lillian Luther had found and was surprised that Lex had kept. Was it revealed what that is? It was not. Okay. Do you have any thoughts? I have no clue. Me neither. <laughs> okay. So we're on the same page when it comes to that. Yeah, because I, I don't know either. So, uh, if a part of me is hoping... And just overshooting, I would love to see that be a mother box in that inside that box. Uh, that could be all kinds of awesome. I don't think they're going to go there, but that would be super cool. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming, though, this means, though, this is not the end of, of Lillian because Lillian is now on the run So with Hank Henshaw. So we're definitely going to see Lillian again, and whatever this package is is definitely going to come back into play later on. I'm thinking it's probably going to play a part towards the end of the season. Yeah. So... Don't know what it is, but we'll see what it is as, as we get closer to it. Uh, finally, the final scene of the episode. Um, I never pronounce it right. No one ever can. Never. <laughs> I always say Mixoplex. That's what I do, too. Okay. And I even listened to him pronounce it, and I was like, huh? Um, but we are getting the, uh, the, the imp from the fifth dimension next week. Uh, we're just going to call him Mixoplex. Uh, that's... That's how we know it as so. Uh, but we do see Mr. Mixoplex appear at the end of the episode and say um, he is in love with Kara, which I, I've i always loved the episodes of the animated series with him. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with him next week. Yes, and I one of the best shots I saw from uh, the promo for next week's episode was a shot of Mr. Mixoplex. In a version of Superman's suit that we've seen Hotchland wear with <laughs> yes. a giant M on the chest. Yes. So I'm really excited to see where they're going to go with this. I can't wait. And all I hope is that by the end of the episode, it ends in such a way that he can come back later. 
I, I absolutely hope so. Well, I mean, more than more or likely, or most likely, what's going to happen uh, is we're going to see the classic trope of say his making him say his name three times, and he'll be rebanished to the fifth dimension until he gets bored and finds a way out yet again. Three? So. No, it wasn't three times. He just had to say his own name backwards. Oh, that's right. That's right. He had to say or spell his own name backwards. That's correct. I. It's yeah. It's. It's been a while. <laughs> because that, even in the animated series, I think that's how Superman gets him one time is he makes him write it mm-hmm. by like a, like a chase or something. And it ends up like he the the path that Superman took was actually him spelling his own name backwards. For, yeah. For some odd reason, I wanted him to be Beetlejuice for some odd reason. So. <laughs> like, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, you want like a sand a sandworm to show up at some point, too? Yes. Yeah. Let's make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, and snare beast. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, but all in all, a fun episode, and I'm really looking forward. I hope they handle next week's right. I think yeah. they will. I think next week's just going to be kind of like a breakaway from the main storyline, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, the show is on a high right now uh, from the last two episodes, so I think next week hopefully will be another big one for it. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right, here we go. <laughs> Let's get divisive. Let's get to it. Arrow, Season 5, Episode 13, titled Spectre of the Gun. Following a traumatic attack on City Hall, flashbacks show how Renee became Wild Dog. Uh, we do have to say that this was something I had... This episode had already done something that Arrow had never done before, and it started with a parental warning. Um, we, I, Rob, I don't know if you even saw it, because I think you had watched it the same way I did. Um, but through other avenues, I found out that when this did air, cause we didn't watch it when it aired, we watched it through another route. Um, there was a parental warning in the beginning of this, when this episode aired on CW. Okay. And I think for good reason. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to start by saying this was a very heavy episode. Um, not only because of the subject material, but because of some of the visuals we got out of that subject, subject material. Very, you know, obviously this is about gun control or gun prevention, whichever stance. We're not going to get political in this debate or in this discussion. We're simply going to discuss the episode. We're not going to say where we stand on either one. We're just going to discuss the episode. Well, I want to get that clear from the beginning. Um, but there's some visuals of like people falling, you know, after being shot and falling down to their deaths and seeing the faces of the people dead. And it was a very heavy episode to begin with. Uh, and seeing the debate between the characters on the issues made it even heavier. I know you said this kind of felt like an after-school special. A little too much for me. I think they handled a lot of stuff really well, but I think it's for equally as many things as they did well, they're, the other half of it felt like they were cramming a message down our throat nonstop uh, where they couldn't choose a side. And so it just felt like their message was muddled uh, in, in my mind. It was kind of like, this is a problem. And that's all we're going to say about it. This is a problem, and everybody has different viewpoints. So they kind of achieve – they achieved something by the end, but I'm not sure what they achieved. It was – I think what it is is, like you mentioned, Supergirl handles, you know, the social issues, like, of the idea of being gay. They, I think they handle that in a very solid way because they have an analogy in their universe already, which is aliens. Um so when that's coming up, you're able to kind of tie that back and forth. It's kind of like when you've seen, like, X-Men. Like, Kevin Smith always jokes that X-Men is one giant big gay parable. It's very true. Um, this was really, again, I think it was because we've seen Supergirl handle things with such care. 
my opinion of watching Arrow. And I think this is the right show to do this attemptive message. But I think it was the fact of the way that they framed it. Uh, there was a very lo- there was a lot of eye rolling moments. I think as far as their dialogue choices, where it felt like very weak writing when they were trying to get their messages across, uh, instead of making it kind of really feel like it fit, uh, it really felt like they came in with an agenda. But I don't know what that agenda was, and that was my problem with it. Well, see, I think, and you and I look at this situation a little bit different. Is is you see them having two different stances and never being able to come to a decision. To me, that was actually smart. Uh, to not come to a decision because if you, when you have an issue like this and you have people that are on the stance of we need more gun control and you have people that are on the stance of we need less gun control because we need to be able to have guns so we can protect ourselves, you have these two very different stances on this. To make a decision is alienating part of your audience. Um, well, it's very tr- that's very, very true. And that's one of the reasons why I think they actually handled it very smartly. They showed that... Yes, this is a, co- a cohesive team, but they do stand on opposite ends with some of this. And I like the fact that, yes, by the end of the episode, they did come to a, some kind of meet-in-the-middle situation. We don't know what that is, but we know they met it. And I think that was the, that was the smart play. Again, if, you t- if the show were to take a stance, like if, say, they went with, you know, the Renee, uh, um, the, the wild dog stance, and that people need to be able to carry more guns, and we need looser gun control, or whatever... Then you alienate the audience of the people who think we need more gun control. And these are the kind of people that are going to be like, you know what? I'm not watching this show anymore. Same with the other way. If you went with more gun control, you're going to have the people that want to carry guns be like, you know what? I don't like the way the show handles it. I'm done with it. So rather than take a chance of risking that, I like the fact that they played it straight down the middle. Even Oliver himself didn't know where he stood on this. And I think that was the smart play. And that's no, what... I, I... I was going to say oh, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I'm giving this a legend is I think it's a very, very, very touchy subject in real life, in television. It's a touchy subject. And I think by handling it the safest way possible, right down the middle, I think that was the smart play. Well, I, I, I absolutely will agree with you. And I do think they did handle that end of it actually incredibly well. I think what it was for me was one of the issues I think I would have rather them see them tackle was – the, that in the ver- the realm of the team, um, because one of the big things that's been divisive about this season is the question of so killing is back on the table and his team has already been like, uh, that's not cool. And they still haven't really addressed that. So now they're bringing up this other, you know, other kind of MacGuffin uh, almost not. I mean, I hate to call that a MacGuffin because it's really not. Um, but I mean, like it's they're they're focusing plot device for the week that they're they're kind of looking at. And I think it's it, it was, a, you know. A good message to come across that if no side is happy, that means you've reached a good compromise. That's actually I do believe that Um, I I actually stand very true to that. Um, But I think what they really should have been starting to focus on a little bit is that whole question of where the team stands as far as killing, because now you're kind of turning it saying, let's look at the gun issue and. Ollie's like, I'm not sure where I stand. Uh, you know, I'm very, you know, like he's like, I'm killing because I think it's necessary. His team is very against it. But then you've got people like Wild Dog running around with guns and then you have John running around with a gun uh, and then the rest of his team being very against it. They should have focused that, I think, as far as how it worked with the team instead of random debate between uh, Curtis and Renee. And then the City Hall is the overarching kind of side of that. I think that's that's why I have a problem where this feels very muddled um, because I don't really know how that affects the team and nothing came out of it for the team. 
which is what the show's kind of focus is should be really on right now because there's that big lingering question that we must have an answer to is killing back on the table and why and what's the reasons um and where does the team really stand because they've shown many times since this season has started they have a problem with this even came back up and prometheus came into play that is like you killed all of these people and he recreate you know recreated this this whole scene as people that you have killed in the past and they haven't really weighed out that issue yet. That hasn't really been directly addressed full force with a resolution. So, all right. I mean, I, I can definitely see that uh, to a degree too. But I also think that I, I think this is a little bit of a, a different situation as to if killing is on the table. Um, killing on the table to me when it comes to the team is more on, along the lines of if we have the opportunity to capture. You know, these people are running away from us. If we have the opportunity to capture them, let's capture them. If they're running away from us, we're not going to kill them. Like, that's not right. And there were situations where, yes, there were many situations where they were being attacked and they killed in, in retaliation to that. But there were also situations where Oliver was just killing everybody. And that's part of the is killing on the table anymore. In this situation where lives are on the line and, you know, in in – a good instance of it is Renee's backstory, which we're going to get to in a second. If someone's life is at risk, is it okay to kill? And I think that's more the story of this rather than to capture criminals. Uh, I agree. So I do I, understand that. It's a little bit of a different tone as to whether or not killing us on the table. So I, I do understand where you're coming from as to where it stands with the team. And we didn't really get any resolution of that. But I, I feel like there's almost an exception to this episode because of the degree of what we're talking about. Um, but I do like the way it was handled in at the end of it because one of my other good one of the other things I I really enjoyed about this episode is we got to see Ollie as the hero but not as Green Arrow we got to see him as the hero as the mayor this time around um, when he walks in front of the the shooter and handles the situation without the hood uh, and I think that's a very strong thing that needed to happen at some point. To build the character, because we know how strong he is as Oliver, as Green Arrow. We know how good he is as Green, Al as Green Arrow. This is something that shows his strengths as what as something that he also is, and that's the mayor. And I think that's something we needed to see, and almost to kind of fulfill or complete his character. Yeah, no, I do see that. I, I think that's. I honestly, I just wanted more resolution, like. Him maybe making the transition to more classic Green Arrow uh, by the end of this episode. And he's like, no, I think I'm going to stop killing. It's like, I'm, you know, I was just wanting something like that. But I do agree. I think it was great to see him step up as mayor of the city. Uh, I thought those some of those moments were very strong. Um, and, and like I said, you know, I do absolutely agree with a lot of the points you're saying. I think mine was more, I think a little, the writing was a little heavy handed, uh, a little bit too much for my personal tastes. Uh, versus the situation. Uh, I mean, and the stuff I brought up about the situation, though, too. Uh, I do think they handled it as best as they could in shows like these. Yeah. But I think it's always you're it's it's, it's a tightrope walk for viewers when you do stuff like this. So yeah. you're not quite sure how they're going to view it. And like I said, I, I do really appreciate what they attempted to do. Uh, I just didn't like the execution. Okay. No, it's it's completely understandable. I mean, like I said, I do see a lot of the same points that you're making with that as well. So I don't disagree with you one bit. Uh, but the one thing I do think we, we're both in agreement on, at least as far as like a positive of the show, we're, we finally got to see a lot of the backstory of Renee. Uh, and you, you really come out of this episode understanding his character a lot better 
after seeing these flashbacks because I don't think this was ever ever anything that was ever revealed about his character until now. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, this is even Curtis brought up. He's like, I didn't know you had a daughter, and neither did the audience. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think that was that stuff was handled beautifully, and it gave a nice, great layer to his character. We still have a lot of questions we don't know about, like. What got him to that point is this, you know, obviously we know this is after he was, you know, like was discharged from the military. So uh, I still want to see a little bit more of that story. Uh, That's something I still want to get into, you know, as far as the meat and potatoes of how, you know, Renee kind of works. But this was actually really unique. And this is a character I absolutely love already. So the fact that they're adding some added layers to him, it's been really interesting and unique to see. Yeah, I, he was a character that I wasn't sold on yet. Uh, I know you said you just said he's one of like your favorite characters, but I wasn't completely sold on him yet. Uh, now that I understand his character a little bit better, I am. And he is a character that I really do enjoy now. And I like the interaction between him and Curtis at the end of the episode, too, when Curtis, you know, reveals to him, like, and your daughter. And, you know, we didn't know you had a daughter. But the moment when he like he looks at his at Renee and says, let's get her back. And the smile that comes to Renee's face, I'm like, OK, I want to see this happen. Like this is this is an awesome moment between these two characters. And I think it brings more cohesion to the team. I do, too. Uh, and I got to say, too, there's another character. We didn't see a lot of her this week, but I want to say uh, I am starting to turn a corner a little bit with Dinah Drake. Um, she has a nice little sequence with. Uh, you know, with John back and forth throughout this episode, we're getting a little bit more of seeing her as far as her settling into Star City. Um, and that's actually really interesting to watch. I think what we saw of her in Russia last week where she pretty much looks at Ollie and he's like, why are you brooding all the time? Like, it's that mentality. She's she's turning around uh, quite a bit for me. And it, it I know for me specifically, this is an uphill battle um, because of my you know view, personal viewpoints on the way they've dealt with Black Canary over the last couple of years. But um, I, I got to say, uh, I, I'm absolutely willing to give her a, a really fair shot. And what I've seen from her so far, I am absolutely liking. It's kind of like you in HR and the Flash. Like I, I need to give her some time. Okay. Um, yeah, no, two other points I want to bring up fairly quickly before we move on to Powerless. Uh, I enjoyed seeing Paul Blackthorne back again. I love that we got the Quentin Lance of old back on this show, you know, the clean, but yet sarcastic and, and ready to work. I mean, that's the, the Quentin Lance that we've always known. And that's the Quentin Lance that we love. So I'm, I'm happy that we're getting to see that, uh, come back. I expected a little bit more of a reaction almost out of him when he met Dinah. Uh, only because like she shares the same name as as Laurel, and she's now taking the mantle that Laurel once had. So I almost expected a little bit more of a reaction from him when he when he first met her. But um, again, I, I'm I'm happy that that she's back. That I, I think back. I think that moment is still to come because we haven't seen him around when she is used the canary cry or with the domino mask or anything like that. So. You know, it's the question of does Quentin even know uh, Laurel's last words to Ollie before she died? Um, There's a lot of questions still to be answered about that. And then we still have questions as far as are they going to continue digging in a little bit more into this whole Black Canary stuff? I I think that is we haven't even scratched the surface on yet. I think there's a lot still to come. And the other thing I wanted to say is, too, it was it was pretty cool seeing uh, Adrian Chase as vigilante suited up again. 
Mm-hmm. Agree. So, so. Uh, anything else that I might be forgetting you wanted to bring up? No, uh, like I said, I, I, you know, you and me have very different viewpoints on it, but I think both of them are incredibly valid. So if anybody kind of listens to this and is like, what are you guys talking about? You guys are both insane. Again, just reminding everybody, because I know this is kind of a divisive episode. Uh, opinions, purely opinions. Um, that's all it is. So, yeah, again, like, like we, like we said in the beginning of this discussion, we're not taking a stance either way. So it's not meant to cause a debate online either. Yes. Uh, we just strictly opinions about the episode and that's it. It's about the episodes and the contents of the episodes and we're breaking it down, viewing the writing and the acting and the plot movements. And yeah. that's purely it. Yes. So <laughs> exactly. Uh, as you mentioned, next week's episode, the sin eater, we get to see China white Cupid and Liza Warner, uh, broken out of Iron Heights and returning back to Star City for revenge. So we'll see how that goes. Can uh, I announce that I'm on break next week? <laughs> uh, I am too. So it'll be interesting to see who's doing this one. We should totally get like two fill-ins just to pretend they're us. <laughs> and they just talk about Arrow. That's it. We'll just get Craig Legans back on. And I'm like, you're going to cover Arrow this week. Just you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, we'll get Craig Legans and TJ to just come on and talk about Arrow. And then we'll jump back on for everything else. So uh, let's talk the final episode of the week. Uh, Powerless Season 1, Episode 3, titled Sinking Day. Uh, when Van's incompetence costs the team a client, Emily hopes to make a deal with the people of Atlantis, and Van's father sets him on a path of redemption. I don't have... Uh, there's two things I want to start off with this. Um, I don't have a line of the week, but I know if I did, it would come from Powerless. I do have a line of the week, and it is from Powerless. It, is, it so. might be the same one. There was too many for me to choose from, and that's there- the honest truth. Uh, which is a really good sign because it the is. last couple of weeks I'm like, there was a couple throwaway ones, but nothing that made me laugh out loud. There was one this week that had me chuckling my ass off. Uh, and that came actually out of Alan Tudyk's mouth looking at Emily. is like, you never talk about your mother. You know, did you drive her to suicide with <laughs> all your inane oh my stories? God. That would have been one of my, this was one of those episodes where I watched it and I was chuckling constantly. And every time I thought I had a line of the week, Another line would come up, and I'd be like, nope, that's my line of the week. Nope, that's my line of the week. It was too difficult to decide, but I know if I had one, it would come from this week. Yeah. So I think – I don't know if this is something that you noticed or not, and I'm looking at it now, and I even noticed it when I was watching. I think a good reason as to why this episode took a step up is the director. The director this week is Jay Chandrasekhar. If you don't know who Jay is, he is – part of broken lizard he is the director of super troopers beer fest um slam and salmon all those broken lizard movies so his sense of humor and he has directed uh other shows as well i can't remember what other shows he's directed but they've they have been comedies before so i think um i'm trying to think i'm looking oh episodes of goldberg's new girl uh, community. He's done a number of episodes of Community, so that's obviously a good strong point right there. Uh, so when I saw his name in the beginning of this as the director, I already had confidence in this episode. So because I knew what he had done, so I was very, very, very pleased with this week's episode. Yes, I mean I'm starting to wonder now too because those first episodes that we saw, uh, we had the the total shift and changeover of the show. I'm wondering if there was a lot of plot beats and things already kind of preset for that insurance world that was already written, and they kind of found a way to adapt them. And maybe by the time those were written, the showrunner walked away, and 
right around episode three is when they knew the direction and were able to start tackling it properly. So uh, there's a lot of questions we're never going to probably have answers to, at least for quite some time. Um, but one of the things we talked about, and I even tweeted on Caffeine, uh, Auto Caffeine Crew the other week uh, after watching episode two, uh, great cast, great premise that's not taking advantage of both. Uh, massive improvements. We got a lot of DC this week. Uh, we got a lot of, uh, you know, comments about, you know, obviously Atlantis, Ace Chemicals. Uh, we had the Olympian this week. Um, and all these things worked because it, it all tied together nicely. But I love the idea that they made the joke about Ace Chemicals. It's like, what was it? One out of every five accidents at Ace Chemicals results in like a, 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 a sadistic uh, clown or something like, like a that. Sadistic yeah. Clown. yeah. I mean, like, that's how you take advantage of the world you have to work with. And I'm really happy to see that they're really kind of taking that to heart. Um, Emily's character was a lot more fun. She didn't feel as over the top this week. Um, Alan Tudyk, they brought him down a little bit and made him a little bit more relatable. And he worked a lot more in that context. We got a lot more Ron Funches this week and his character. And he's working great. He's proving to be the highlight we haven't seen a lot yet out of Danny Pudi. I think that's still yet to come. But it feels like they're starting to highlight specific actors in the proper way. And I think they've got their formula now. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many, again, as you mentioned, um, and I wish I could remember the dialogue exactly. But there was, you know, the moment where we find out that, that um, you know, that Ron Funch's character is from Atlantis. Oh, I thought he said Atlanta. No, that's Donald Glover. And I think that's a bit racist. Like, that's, <laughs> dude, there's so many moments that, like, I, just made me chuckle. Like, and that is the sign of a great sitcom. And I, I was still on the fence after last week. I'm totally on board now after this week's episode. So many improvements. And not only that, but, I mean, again, like, the interaction between Ron Funches and Vanessa Hudgens. Again, you know, uh, I threw out the hook and I reeled them in. They don't like talk like that. And it's just, oh, my God. It's – I really can't say anything else that you that you haven't said already. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things is I got I to gotta give them credit, too, because I loved the subplot of the, of the Olympian potentially working in the office and them trying to set up to prove their point. Like any ongoing bet in the office. I mean, that's that's fun. I mean, especially when you're talking about a character like the Olympian. I mean, this is a great way to do this. I and like I said, I'm really excited now for episode four. So uh, big props to Powerless. Uh, they really turned it around. I am sold. And that opener is still awesome and makes me smile every time. Every time. Every time. I do have to say to uh, potential future for the podcast, both on the showcast and for DC, um, the showcast spotlight, Adam and I, there is a potential of us having Jenny Pearson, who plays Wendy, on on the showcast spotlight sometime in the near future. And... Uh, I'm currently working my magic right now. We recently found out that Alan Tudyk is the uh, one of the highlighted guests at Great Philadelphia Comic Con. So I'm already working with those guys about an interview and uh, potentially moderating his panel at Great Philadelphia. So it'll be really cool to to meet Alan Tudyk as well. So and obviously, if any of these things happen, this is more great material you guys will get to hear on the podcast. So yeah. Um, but again, great episode of powerless this week borderline legend uh i i don't know i think if we got the same episode again next week um it, it's it might be a legend next week yeah yeah i think so um like i said i'm excited to see where they're gonna go yeah and i like seeing carbon corbin bernstein as van's father too yeah oh yeah great casting choice too like yeah. i feel like i haven't seen him since psych so yeah it was uh, it was great to see him 
Um, and again, it, it's, it shows that directors tend to use a lot of characters that they've worked with in the past. Uh, Jay Chentrasekar has actually directed episodes of Psych, too. So, you know, he's episode he's directed episodes of Community, which brought Danny Pudi. Well, Danny Pudi was already attached, but Corbin Burnson from Psych. Um, you know, it's 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 all in great fun. So um, I'm looking forward to to where it's going to go. Would would Corbin Burnson technically be Thomas Wayne's brother? Uh, potentially we, we don't know. It could be, uh, Van's, um, Van's mom. So you never know. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. So it could well, be brother actually, or no, brother-in-law. It, yeah. Well, yeah, you, you generally have no idea, but more than likely, uh, well, actually, no, it would have to be, um, uh, you know, potentially brother or cousin, you know, that's my guess. Um, who knows? Well, cause it's I'm thinking if, if, um, if, the, if it's a Wayne name though, it would have to be a direct relation to, to Bruce. So well, because if, uh, we know that Van and Bruce are cousins, yes, which means so, that their parents would have to be brother and sister. Yeah, I guess so. I guess uh, I, I guess it's it's either that or it's Bruce's uncle because that still kind of works in the cousin cousin mix. So who knows? I'm not quite sure on how they're going with it. But I, well, I would I would think it would have to be if if the last name is Wayne, it would have to be Corbin Burns had a direct relation to the Wayne name. Yeah, yeah, he would have to be. So yeah, so eh, you know. Whatever. Uh, let's talk before we get into the news. Again, we're not going to go too spoilery on it, but let's just share some of our thoughts on Justice League Dark. Uh, it's something we both gave a legend. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because we want to give you guys the opportunity to watch. But um, and if, and we did spend we did share some of our thoughts on it, but we both gave this one a legend. And um, dude, I was so engrossed. Just watching this, I was so enthralled. I my eyes were glued to the screen because it was. I was definitely just having a ton of fun. And one thing that really made me wonder, uh, well, two things actually. One, I would love. I know we talked about this either last week or the week before. You you had mentioned the potential of a Mystics television show. Uh, after watching this movie, holy shit, would I love to see that. Mm-hmm. It would be amazing to see these characters together in a live action format. Yeah, uh, I know. I got an important question for for you: is which characters from this were new characters for you? Um, well, I knew obviously I knew Constantine, I knew Zatanna, um, um, Swamp Thing. I knew obviously Destiny. I didn't know. I wasn't familiar with Destiny, who was the villain in it, and I wasn't sure. I wasn't familiar with. Um, I think I don't remember his name, but they called him Boston. Uh, Boston Brand, Dead yeah. Man. Yep. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with Dead Man at all. So everybody else, I was pretty familiar with, like Jason Blood slash Etrigan. Yes, and, you know. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I wasn't sure what was new because I know, like I said, uh, like I said, you're you're getting more engrossed into the world of DC since we've been doing the show, which is holy crap, we've been doing it for over a year now. I know. Um, and like I said, you got pretty involved in in like I said, Rebirth, and like we're reading pretty heavily when that first started up, and I know like you're you're kind of you've got a backlog just like I do. Um, but yeah, oh, so shit, I do I have sure. a backlog, <laughs> dude? I am uh, I'm about for the most part on the majority of books about three months behind. There's certain ones I'm keeping up with. Uh, it's just life. <laughs> life is getting is getting hectic, but uh, I'm making sure to still pe- keep uh, reading the ones that I, I really care about. So, um, I'm looking at Matt Ryan's IMDb, and I don't know if this is anything we ever discussed, but apparently there is a new Constantine series coming out. 
Yes, it's the CW Seed one that we talked about. The animated one. Okay, yeah, because yeah, it does have back, him listed yeah. as a voice. Okay. Yep. So I wasn't sure about that. But if the, if it's anything like what we just watched, yeah, I'll be watching that. Yeah, it's uh, sure. kind of like uh, the Megalon EK uh, Vixen series that they did on CW Seed. Which okay. Which the version of Vixen we saw on Arrow last season. So, I'm Or sure. two seasons ago. I can't remember. It was uh, No, it was last season. It was Damien Dark. So Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for – I'm actually – Oh, it's clay. It's claymation. I don't know what that is. There's a there's something listed from January of 2015 called John Con Noir, <laughs> and it's uh it's a clay animated John Constantine voiced by Matt Ryan comes to Los Angeles for the premiere of his new show. He quickly finds rising darkness and put a clutch in the filmmaking process. Hmm. I don't know what that is. And maybe it was a like a San Diego Comic Con thing that they did maybe potentially a little while back or something like that. So yeah. Um, my question I pose to you too is that you're, you're obviously more familiar with these, these characters than I was. Um, do you have a favorite out of all of them? Well, I was a little bummed we didn't get more of Swamp Thing. Uh, actually, I absolutely love that character. Um, but I kind of like one of the things I can say, and I think, you know, I kind of pose to you as well. The reason that it's better for people to really get a chance to watch this, there's something about the way that they did Justice League Dark that kind of felt like, horror vignettes like horror light but like there felt like vignettes of all of this uh where we got time with each of the characters and had a highlight like you know portion on each of them like we felt like we got a nice good chunk of an introduction to jason blood um you know swamp thing was touched upon but like we got a really nice little origin sequence and some really nice highlights with boston brand uh you know, Zatanna was the same way. And, you know, Constantine had such a great intro in this, the way this started off with a card game. Um, and you're seeing that traditional con man, John Constantine. Um, so I think everything they did here really worked great. It all, the, all of them felt like little backup stories that you read in comics. And then they all happened to tie together beautifully into this story about destiny at the end. So. Uh, and it was a great introduction for people that are not familiar with the House of Mysteries. I think that was a really great way of handling that. Yeah, yeah, because I wasn't familiar with that too much as well. Uh, so yeah, I was I was really enjoying seeing everything. I mean, again, it's one of those things we don't want to spoil too much, but uh, we just encourage you guys to watch it because we both gave it a legend, and it's it's a ton of fun. It's just it's so well done, and I'm. I, I will not lie. I will probably be watching it again when we're done recording. Yeah, I mean, like I said, and uh, like I said, now this is a Justice League animated flick, so you do see some of the leak. Uh, if you're expecting to see them involved a lot more, kind of like the Teen Titans, uh, Justice League versus Teen Titans kind of episode, uh, this is very much Batman pulling, to, helping pull together this team. Uh, but Batman very much takes a backseat. This is very much a John Constantine style like show. This is all Constantine really front and center and Batman's kind of window dressing a little bit. So if you're expecting a lot out of him and a lot of heavy interaction between him and John, there's some there, but it, it this is really John Constantine and Zatanna's story. Uh, and especially the relationship they've had together is, as far as if you're familiar with these characters is they've been uh, very romantically entangled for quite a long time. And, uh, and it's been a very turbulent relationship. But they they make some really great moments where you know there's a history between them because they keep referencing things that we never get to see. But the way it's handled has got a nice slant of humor to it. Uh, we do see John Stewart Green Lantern in this uh, really quickly, a little bit of Wonder Woman and a little bit of Superman. And then there's some uh, background Justice League members like that we know of, like Flash and Martian Manhunter, that we see in the background 
here and there as well as Aquaman, but uh, none of them are uh, have speaking lines, um, yeah. with the exception of again Superman, um, you know Wonder Woman, Batman, and then uh, John Stewart. And again, so. I mean, and they're using a lot of the same voice talents too. Like Jerry O'Connell is playing Superman as he has in previous animated films, and Jason Omara is still continuing uh, yeah. a great job as Batman. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Rosario Dawson is is Wonder Woman, and mm-hmm. um, so it's uh it, it it's a lot of fun. And my other question, and I'll wrap it up with this, is that this movie really posed to me, and this came out of the ending of the movie: who would win between the Mystics and the Justice League? Because there are moments where they're kind of pitted against each other for at least a brief second, and the Mystics kind of hold their own against the Justice League. I think that the traditional Justice League would kind of be hosed, uh, especially because their big gun is taken out of the mix really quick as long as Zatanna's on her feet or John's on his feet. Yeah. Uh, We know magic is his biggest weakness. We saw Wonder Woman taken down very easily. And the X Factor always is uh, Bruce. So it's a big question. But uh, like I said, I I really hope that they get to do a follow-up and another Justice League dark uh, down the road because uh, there was a lot to love here. Uh, we got to see them touch on Felix Faust a little bit, too. Uh, I would say out of everything, the only points I would dock was the voice acting for Felix Faust was a little over the top. Uh, but everything else was incredibly spot on. But the story came together great. Uh, I think this is one of the absolute best uh, animated Justice League movies they've done yet. And I'd be curious, too. I, I I would very much like to see a future film with these characters again because I need – and this is not – I'm prefacing this very safely as to not give away any spoilers – I need to know what happens to Swamp Thing. Yes, uh, you know I, we 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 could spoil that a little bit, but uh, we'll we'll let that one for the viewers because we do see some things happen to both Etrigan and Jason Blood, and some interesting things with Eric Holland and his attachment to the Green in this. So, yeah, um, if you're curious about that and that piques your interest, uh, that should be all you need to check this out because they're both very unique, and you can tell the stories are. Uh, Maybe we're still scratching the surface. Yeah, so. that, and that's what I'm hoping. So uh, that's going to wrap things up then for the Secret Origins portion of this. Let's move into the recommendations portion where we talk about our recommendations and, of course, the news in which there is some interesting stuff this week. Yes, yeah. Uh, some topics of discussion on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash DC Primetime. Um, but uh, Rob, tell us a little bit about some of those stories. Uh, well, how about this? We're going to start light and work up into the bigger, more divisive stories this <laughs> week, uh, kind of like we did last week. Uh, so real quick, I'm pretty sure I posted these over on our Facebook page, but uh, there are some great shots out there. If you are super excited for this week's episode of The Flash, when we head to Earth 2 into Gorilla City, there are shots now of Grodd and Solivar. So if you haven't seen them yet, and there's that great poster, that Rumble and the Jungle poster, uh, if you haven't seen that yet. It's such a great, great promo piece that they've done for this episode. So make sure you check them out. I know that promo shot is over there. Ben got that posted up a couple days ago. Uh, also, I can't remember if we talked about this last week because it falls right on the cusp of when we record. But uh, there are now shots of uh, Leonard Snart on set for uh, Led Tomorrow, and there's a couple shots out there that came from uh, HollywoodNorth.Buzz, um, and you can check them out on their Twitter page, which is at Y-V-R-S-H-O-O-T-S. Uh, so you can see some of those shots, so we are very excited to know his return is very much imminent. So, uh, in addition to that, getting ready to head into this week's episode of Arrow, we have shots of Dinah Drake wearing her domino mask, as well as shots of Lady Cop China White and Cupid in action. 
Uh, and it looks like she is going to be the one squaring off against uh, Dinah Drake. And also we're seeing shots of uh, Spartan in the mix there, too, as well as Ollie. So really looking forward to where this is going to go. But we also know Quentin is in on the action. So I have a feeling as we were talking about a little bit about seeing Canary in action and Quentin's response, this is very well where it could happen. So it's a big wait and see. Uh, also, let's head over into the new show that's heading probably to the CW before we know it, which is Black Lightning. There is now character breakdowns and synopsis, which now confirm Thunder and Lightning being in the mix. Thunder and Lightning obviously being uh, Jefferson Pierce, who is, uh, as we all know, Black Lightning, his daughters. So we're curious to see how they fit into the mix, which uh, they're, obviously their name's Jennifer and uh, Anissa, so... Waiting to see how that plays out, but the synopsis for the show that we know as of now is Black Lightning centers on Jefferson Pierce. Uh, he made his choice. He hung up the suit and the secret identity years ago, but with a daughter hellbent on justice and a star student being recorded by a local gang, will be pulling into the fight as the wanted vigilante and DC legend Black Lightning. So this is very much a very much post-hero version of Black Lightning. So we know that he's out there. It sounds like the lead that I don't know if they have quite cast yet. Um, the character is going to be between 30 and 50, uh, 50 years old. Same with his wife, uh, Jefferson's wife, Lynn, um, which is also in that mid thirties to 50 years old. So, um, really curious to see how this is going to play out. This has me really interested. sounds like there are focal points may really actually be thunder and lightning with, uh, Jefferson, uh, in the background a little bit more as he's trying to keep things together and trying to keep his family together. So I think it's a really kind of unique take yeah. um, on uh, this character and the way it's going to fit into the uh, the CWDC world. So uh, heading over to the animated world real quick, uh, we now have an official date for Teen Titans, the Judas Contract, which is a project they've been talking about for years and years and years. We got a little tease at the end of Justice League versus Teen Titans seeing Terra kind of floating up on her rock to the Titans Tower. Um, but it sounds like we won't have to wait much longer. Uh, it's a lot sooner than I think any of us really actually anticipated. Uh, and that means the film is coming out, uh, looks like on April 18th. I think there's talk that this is going to hit, this is digital HD, uh, Blu-ray and DVD on April 18th. So I think all the same day. Uh, now, usually with DC, that usually they usually have a tendency to release their digital EOD version a couple weeks earlier, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a date stated uh, early April, uh, if not maybe the very tail end of March for this hitting. So, wait and see. Uh, heading over to video games real quick before we head into the big discussions of the week. Uh, in Justice 2, we have a uh, couple new videos that hit right around Valentine's Day. Uh, we had a great video showcasing um, a video as it says, um, Here Come the Girls. I think is exactly how they put it. So if you haven't checked that trailer out, that showed off our first viewings of Catwoman. Uh, it's kind of showing off Black Canary, which uh, IGN showed off earlier late last week. And then Cheetah and Poison Ivy, as Poison Ivy is a character we mentioned in the past that's going to be in the mix. But it was great to see and showcase the fighting styles that they're each going to be working with. But in addition to that, kind of tying nicely back to Justice League Dark Swamp Thing has also been added to this, which I am incredibly excited about. So yeah, I'm incredibly excited about this game. Yeah, like um, in, as a whole, more and more getting excited about where this is going to go. And I kind of feel that that hundred dollar price point, the ultimate edition, that's going to give you access not only to the exclusive uh, pre-order bonus of getting Dark Side, which more than likely will be available down the road, uh, kind of how they did similarly to uh, Injustice One, but also nine additional characters that they have stated that will be in the season one pass. 
So there seems like a pretty uh, pretty intense roster. But it sounds like right off the bat, it sounds like there are going to be 22 characters to start off with. Uh, I'm not sure if that includes Darkseid, but we know that does not include the nine additional DLC characters. So we're already getting close to a roster of 31, 32 characters. Plus, we know if you get that exclusive uh, collector's edition, you also get skins for, I believe, Reverse Flash. Um, I believe John Stewart and I, I think Power Girl was the other one. So did you, wait, did you say Reverse Flash? Yes, uh, he will. He will be an alternate skin for Flash with brand new voice work, but it will be the same move set. So, uh, I'm sold. Yep. So, okay. and like I said, uh, so we'll have Hal Jordan and John Stewart is the alternate skin, and then we'll have uh, the Earth One and then Earth Two versions of Supergirl. So obviously traditional, you know, Supergirl and then uh, Power Girl. So that's kind of a nice little mix. So a hundred dollars, I think, is well worth the sixty dollar price for the game and. I think it's a $10 discount on the Season Pass DLC, plus you get exclusive stuff as well. So it sounds like a fairly solid pack. So well worth the price, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, aside from that, let's uh, let's head over into the big discussions of the week. So we do have, let's start with a lighter one first. Uh, David S. Sandberg has reportedly made talks to helm the Shazam movie. He is the director from the film Lights Out. Uh, very curious to see uh, where he's going to be in the mix. Uh, he's also directing uh, the Annabelle 2, uh, you know, sequel. So looking forward to seeing how that, you know, pans out. Like I said, it's a fairly solid director. Uh, and it sounds like The Rock is still potentially attached to this as well. So we're not quite sure how that's going to pan out. We've seen some conflicting reports that Dwayne Johnson would not be involved in the Shazam film and would just be in a Black Lightning movie. That's still yet to pan out. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen with that. Uh, talking about directors, though, uh, the Batman loses its second director. Well, not second yet, because talks were just beginning with Matt Reeves, who helmed uh, the follow up to Planet of the Apes and uh, the third coming Planet of the Apes from War of the Planet of the Apes. But uh, it sounds like negotiations have officially broken down between Warner Brothers and Matt Reeves, and there is no additional names attached to the project as of this time. In addition to that, there are now rumors flying out there that Ben Affleck wants out of playing the role of Bruce Wayne slash Batman. So nobody knows exactly where things stand. Again, that specifically is a rumor, but we do know the Matt Reeves story is official. That talks are done between the, him and Warner Bros. at this point. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Ben Affleck thing does indeed uh, pan out to just be a rumor. Uh, I have a feeling I, I think you're not going to see any kind of stance on that until after the reception of Justice League. So it's a wait and see. And Yeah, but what scares me about that is the fact that we haven't heard anything. Yes. Usually whenever something like that comes about, within a day or two, we get confirmation as to whether or not it's true. The fact that we haven't heard anything yet from Ben Affleck or his camp stating, no, no, this is not true. Ben is still committed to Batman. Even if it's just... To put it, even if he really is considering leaving and they're just putting that out there just to not scare people, we haven't heard anything. Yeah, That's I mean, what scares me. It is a little scary, but I will say it was about a week to two weeks after uh, he walked away from directing uh, that we got an official word from him. It was about a week later, so uh, not even a week has passed since that rumor has been circulating. Uh, and it's just a question of what's happening with that. We, we have heard rumblings, too, that Justice League is a mess. That was actually shot down by somebody actually that was not associated with the project, but was stating what that interview came from. That was a not reputable source that stated that. Um, so, and they were saying this, this is not somebody to really watch and follow. And they've got some personal hate ties, I believe to Warner brothers. 
So that person has been discredited, and the question is now, is that coming from that same source? Because uh, I think that source hasn't even kind of come forward yet on where this originally uh, came from. So it's a wait and see. Um, so no official word on that one yet. So, uh, And the last big one is the one that we, I think, both have serious kind of issues with, but there is some positives. Not, I think. not just us. I, most of the Facebook. I, a lot of people <laughs> have are, some serious issues. Yeah. But. So, uh, as we know, David Ayer has moved on to Gotham City Sirens. That leaves room open for who will be actually directing Suicide Squad 2. And it sounds like currently Warner Brothers is courting Academy Award winning director Mel Gibson to helm the follow up. Oy. Uh, we do know officially um, that Mel has come out and said that they are kind of dating at this point. There's nothing solid, but talks have begun, and they're trying to figure out how this is going to work. Uh, I know a lot of people close to Gibson's camp stated one of the main reasons for him wanting to do this is he's been trying to work with Will Smith for years. Uh, apparently, I believe that uh, Gibson actually even wanted Smith to be involved originally in Hacksaw Ridge in some way, shape, or form. Uh, which was not possible because at the time that was filming, Suicide Squad was filming. So uh, so I'm not surprised that this is potentially happening. And I will say this. Gibson is a fantastic director, but this is also a person that has actively out there said comic book movies, quote unquote, are shit. Yes. Um, so it, it has me seriously concerned. I don't know if you want to dive in, give your thoughts on this one. Well, that's I mean, I will say that there has been. <clears throat> There aren't other names on this list for potential directors. One of the other names that I did see on the list that I would be very excited to see is Ruben Fleischer. Ruben Fleischer is the director of Superstore. He's the director of Zombieland. He's done a bunch of great work. I've, we've interviewed him. He is a great guy. I would love to see Ruben Fleischer get this job. I don't want to say Mel Gibson is a horrible director. He's not. I've gone on record on the Facebook saying... Give him the Oscar right now for Hacksaw Ridge, because Hacksaw Ridge is fucking phenomenal. The The artistic direction, everything about that movie is great. He deserves all the props that he gets. His past in the past, like everything he said in the past, oh, I'm not going to dive into it. And it takes, it does, none of that takes away his talent as a director. He's phenomenal. I think him at the helm of Suicide Squad 2 would probably be a really badass movie. The problem with it, as you brought up, is the fact that why do we want to give the job to somebody who doesn't like these types of movies? Whether he wants to work with Will Smith or not, there will be other opportunities. This guy has come out on public record, and as you said, comic book movies, superhero movies are pieces of shit. And you want to give this guy the job? Like, that's my issue with this. There's a lot of things that need to be changed at Warner Brothers. Between, yeah, I, between Batman, between Justice League, between because they already don't have a great track record with these films. And now we got issues with Batman. We got issues with Mel Gibson possibly being the director. I'm telling you right now, I, I've gone on record saying this before, too, and I'll go on record stating it now. If Affleck drops out of Batman, I'm done with the DCEU. I'm done with it. I won't yeah. give them a dollar of my... He has been... So far to this point, the best thing that has happened to these movies. And if he drops out and we lose him, nobody is to blame but Warner Brothers. Yeah, and, no, that's very And true. I'm done. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I am done by any any stretch of this. But I think really how this all kind of boils down is 
I think. Um, sorry, somebody's trying to call me on Skype. No, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really think, honestly, right now, how this pans out is I'm really not sure um, how things are going to play out because if Ben does drop. It feels like you need to crash and burn the DCEU, give some space and time, wait for a new head of Warner Brothers, and let people like Jeff Johns be like, no, you guys cannot continue to do this stuff if you want to work with this. I mean, that's the problem is, unfortunately, right now, Warner Brothers is never going to let go of DC. Um, that is a potential cash cow for them. Warner Brothers has been struggling recently. There's no question about that. They've had some really good movies, but... I don't think they've had anything super bankable with the exception of these films so far and their critical reception is not the best. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that really enjoyed Suicide Squad, me and Ben being two of those people. Um, but they need to make some hard calls and they need to make them very soon and get their house in order. Or this is going to be a very short journey into the DCEU. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it's, it's one of those things I just have a feeling is going to come to an end pretty soon um, because they're just they can't find their footing they can't get things right so I'm you know I'm just I'm very disappointed with the way things are going right now I yeah. was very excited with the announcement of, of the Batman um, and now I'm just I'm, I'm extremely disappointed like I said Wonder Woman and Justice League uh, all eyes are going to be on those two films one of them is allowed to be good or great, it doesn't have to be the best thing in the world, but one of them has to be outstanding. Yep. And the one that has to be outstanding is Justice League. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman is allowed to have a little bit of shaky ground because as much as people may want to say, you know, Marvel can do no wrong, Thor was a fine movie. Captain America, the original Captain America was a fine movie. They weren't these phenomenal powerhouses. They were fun and great introductions to the character, but they were a very by-the-numbers comic book uh, flick, in my personal opinion. But and, and but they found their footing with other things that they're doing in the Marvel Cinematic World that those characters mattered, though. Um, they need to at least, you know, have... Wonder Woman has to have an outing at least as strong, if not a little bit better than Suicide Squad and Justice League has got to wow the same way that Civil War did. Yeah. If not, I think they're in serious trouble. And at the rate things are going right now, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I'm very curious. I'm very, very curious. Yeah, me too. So, uh, all right. <laughs> On that note, uh, let's leave a couple recommendations, get some cheap plugs, and get the hell out of here. Yeah. So uh, what about you? What is your recommendation for our listeners this week? Well, obviously, I know you'll bring it up too, but uh, make sure you go and check out that interview that we did just a couple of days ago. It was such a blast to do. Uh, I know Ben and me can't say enough great things about Teddy, and we can't thank him enough for being on. Uh, but for me, this week, uh, this past week, on Wednesday, Super Sons number one came out, which is the first uh, adventures of Jonathan Kett and Damian Wayne together, which, uh, well, not together. We've seen them in the past, but now headlining their own book. It's written by Pete Tomasi, and it is a lot of fun. It's a really great book, well worth your time. So give it a shot. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, and um, my recommendation, obviously, of course, we recommend you go back and check out our interview with Teddy. Teddy was amazing. Uh, but my recommendation for this week is actually for Teddy. Uh, he is currently doing promotion for 24 Legacy on Fox Monday nights. Uh, so because he was so awesome, we want to help him get the word out. We want to help him get the promotion out. Not to mention the fact that Rob and I both watch the show, and it's fucking awesome. So... Uh, 
go check out 24 Legacy on Fox. There's three episodes in. There's going to be 12 total, so you still got plenty of time to catch up on demand uh, and and check it out. So my recommendation, 24 Legacy, go and watch it. So yeah, uh, cheap plugs before we get out of here. Uh, as always, you can check out my other podcast, the Showcast Spotlight, right here on the Next Level Podcast Network, uh, which includes interviews with a bunch of people from the shows that we talk about, from Arrow, uh, you know, Teddy Sears, Stephen Amell, Paul Blackthorne, Katie Cassidy, a, a bunch. Uh, you can find that as well as all of the other podcasts, including Rob's, which we'll tell you about in a second, on the Next Level Podcast Network website, nextlevelradioonline.com. dot com, and of course, always comment, message. Uh, like, share anything you find on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash DC Primetime. And as for me, uh, you can always find me over also at the Captain Crew Cast of Pods, which is our monthly geek culture podcast on the Next Level Radio online site. So, uh, like I said, we've been uh, just, I think, now kicking around what our discussion and topics are going to be for February. So uh, we're, we're in the planning stages of that. That'll probably be recording in about a week. And uh, hopefully a lot faster than uh, the recording of our January episode. But that was <laughs> my bad. I had a big convention right smack dab in the middle of my normal editing time frame. But um, but yeah, so uh, get ready for that. Um, we, we still don't know who our cast is going to be. But again, planning stages. Uh, expect it in about a week, two weeks, give or take. Uh, and as you teased during on Facebook and the Teddy Sears interview, you have something to announce? Ah, yeah. So right now, the surgery uh, is do... scheduled for when? Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's in about two weeks. So okay. it could get in the way of editing again. I yeah. apologize. No, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, we do have another guest coming soon. March 26th. What happens to Paul exactly when Ben will be in Heroes and Villains uh, in, Chicago. in Chicago? So Ben will be gracious enough to get up at seven in the morning <laughs> because he will be in Central Time while we're still in Eastern. But. Somebody will be joining us from the great state of Ohio, and it's a voice a lot of you have probably been wanting to hear yet again. Uh, but Brian Blind will be joining us for the musical episode of Supergirl and Flash. Uh, no word yet on Sean or if Kelly will maybe join in the fray, but Brian has indeed confirmed, we've set this up a couple weeks back, uh, that he will be joining us that morning when we record. So. Uh, be ready to hear uh, some uh, old friends from uh, DCR. So yeah, I'll really be excited. Yeah, it'll be kind of cool, too, because I know a lot of our listeners have found us thanks to DCR. Uh, thanks to Brian and Sean at DCR. So the fact that we'll have Brian and potentially Sean back on uh, is is really cool. We've been wanting to have those guys back on for a while. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. And it, again, it's one of those things that, yes, I may be in Chicago. It may be an hour difference. Uh, but the fact that we're getting them back on, uh, and we're going to be talking about the musical episodes, I wouldn't miss it. So I'll get up early and record from the hotel. Yes. Uh, but like I said, and again, if, uh, he cancels on us, which uh, things do come up with a uh, life, uh, just make sure you bombard the DCR Facebook page and be like, <laughs> what the hell? Why did you, you do it? Canceled. You canceled <laughs> in the past and, oh, you're canceling again. But no, just give them a hard time, but just because they're friends of ours. And, uh, you know, like I said, we, we are really looking forward to talking to Brian again. So, yes. Exactly. Uh, so enjoy and uh, be excited for that. We, we absolutely are. That should be a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, but as always, uh, thank you for listening and thank you for sharing. Thank you for posting. Thank you for just being a part of the community that we are. Uh, Rob, one more special thanks you have to give as we give every week. 
Ah, uh, yes, uh, that's uh, our good friend George Shaw at georgeshawmusic.com. You can check out all of his tunes over on his page, which link out to SoundCloud. He's got some seriously amazing music. And uh, if you haven't checked out his video, I haven't pimped it in a while, but check out his musical Disney version of Star Wars, which is such a blast. I know they're still working on uh, the Empire Strikes Back rendition that they're still working on. So, Cool. Uh, with that being said, we are going to get out of here next week. We are back to full strength as all the shows will return, uh, including part one of the visit to Gorilla City. I can't fucking wait. I'm so stoked for the flash next week. Uh, I wish I could say that same thing about Harold. <laughs> <laughs> well, think of it this it could way. It be very good. It could still be very good. Think of it this way. We get part one of Gorilla City. We get part one, or not part one. We get part one of Gorilla City. We get Camelot 3000 for Legends. Um, so we've got two really big things to look forward to, including Mr. Mixerplex on Supergirl uh, and another great episode of Powerless. So maybe Arrow lives up to it and we're wrong. Who knows? We'll just have to wait until next week to find out. Yep. So, uh, but until that time, we will see you guys around the bench. Take care. Peace.